Clippers Daily with Jason Mertides. It is a number one seed in the Eastern Conference edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. Presented by Penn Medicine, the official health system of the Philadelphia Flyers and Wells Fargo Center. Here we go. They score! That hit something on the way in. Knocked down with a stick. Obey-Cubell gave it to Couturier. Back in front, Obey-Cubell. He scores! Nick Obey-Cubell. He's got goal number two. Couturier kept it live. Out in front, Faraby scores! What a setup by Gostas Bear. And Joel Faraby puts it behind Vasilevsky. His first playoff goal. And the Flyers lead it 3-1. That's right, and welcome into your Sunday edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Rakitis. What a week of hockey it's been. The Flyers three games in the round robin and three very convincing wins. It started just seven days ago when the Flyers took on the Boston Bruins and came away with a 34-save win, 4-1 to the final over the Boston Bruins. Then on Thursday, the Flyers took on the Washington Capitals, and they got a 3-1 to victory in that game. And then, of course, yesterday with a chance to have the top spot in the Eastern Conference up for grabs. Two 2-0 teams in the round robin, the Flyers and the Lightning, and the Flyers went out and earned themselves a 4-1 win over the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa Bay, a really good team. They were playing really good hockey. Uh, They held them off at the end, and the Flyers will come away with the top spot in the Eastern Conference for the first time since the 1999-2000 season. That's the last time. They had that top spot in the division. Here's what's coming up on this episode. In just a couple minutes, we're going to talk with Flyers defenseman Shane Gostisbehere. Yeah, he drove back into the lineup for this game. And how about not one, but two assists. He assists on the first and third goal for the Philadelphia Flyers. Looked great in doing it. Not only offensively, his defensive game looked good as well with an active stick. So we'll talk to Shane Gossespierre about getting into the lineup, what the game was like, what it's like playing with no fans and life in the bubble. So stay tuned. That is coming up. We'll also get to Elaine Vigneault, his post, uh, post-game availability. Hear his thoughts on this final round-robin game and owning that top spot in the Metropol- or excuse me, in the Eastern Conference. And also his thoughts on taking on the Montreal Canadiens, who he happened to coach earlier in his career. We'll get to some Twitter questions as well, so a lot to get to here in this episode, but a quick recap on the game and the win for the Flyers. You heard the highlights, so we don't need to replay the highlights, although we should just put them on a loop because they were very enjoyable. And the Flyers, with that 4-1 win, again, grab that top spot in the, uh, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, any team that they play, uh, getting all the way to the Stanley Cup, Home ice advantage, I don't know if we call it home ice advantage, but they get the last change. That's the advantage this time around. Uh, they end up out shooting Tampa Bay in the game 30-24. to 24. Uh, They out uh, get, get out hit in the game 49-26. to 26. All right, let's get to the highlights. 7.40 into the game, it's the Flyers who strike first when Nicholas Albay-Kubel picks up his first of the playoffs, first ever playoff goal. Uh, it was assisted by Shane Gossespierre and Derek Grant, and it was a great redirect by uh, Nicholas Albay-Kubel to knock that puck down. Shane did a great job getting the puck to the blue paint and did it knowing that Albe Kubel was there. Albe Kubel, net front, trying to take the eyes away of Andre Vasilevsky, and boom, he gets the redirect goal, flyers up 1-0. Second goal of the game comes from the same guy, but it's at the 14-minute mark. Nicholas Albe Kubel picks up his second on a great sauce pass from Sean Couturier, and somehow Nicholas Albe Kubel picks this out of the air and bombs it right into the net, and it puts the flyers up 2-0. Sean Couturier and Joel Farabee pick up an assist on that. Flyers would end the first period 
up two to nothing. But 521 into the second after consecutive power plays, and on the second of those two power plays, uh, Tampa finally breaks through and Tyler Johnson picks up his second on the man advantage. Uh, Alex Kalorn and Braden Point pick up the assist. Puck comes out from behind the net right to Tyler Johnson, who's wide open. Nothing Carter Hart could even do about it. He did make a great save right before Johnson scored on a one-timer where he had to move basically uh, the, the entire width of his crease from his right blocker side right to his glove hand and had to get down low and seal the post. Uh, great shot by uh, Nikita Kucherov that he was able to stop, but uh, the further play there ends up behind him with Tyler Johnson's second of the postseason. Actually, early in the game, too, uh, when it was still scoreless, uh, Carter Hart made a great save on Nikita Kucherov on a breakaway early in the game. And then after the Flyers went up 2-0 and they were killing a penalty, Alex Kalorn had a breakaway, and Carter Hart stopped that as well. Just like my takeaway from Game 1 against Boston, where I was so impressed with Carter, not only for the 34 saves on 34 shots, I was also impressed in his demeanor and his calm nature. I kept saying that his heart rate didn't look like it went over 71 beats per minute. Same thing here tonight. He just looked totally under control, totally confident, in the right spot, taking pucks to the logo. That's because you're in the right spot. So let's pick up back the highlights back up. Uh, Flyers up 2-1 to one at that point. But at 14-22 of the second period, Flyers regained their two-goal lead when Joel Farabee pick, gets his first playoff goal. And that's the a pass from Shane Gossespierre. But what happened even before we get there w- was just a lot of good stuff. And this is, you know, five players playing as a unit in the offensive zone. Um, Justin Braun was on the right side, uh, made a real nice play to maintain possession of the puck inside Tampa's zone, wheels it behind the net. And eventually there's a race for the puck in the far left corner where Sean Couturier beats the lightning defender to it by throwing a javelin stick at it, if you will. He kept it in his hands. And that pokes the puck to Shane Gostisbehere, who just bombed a perfect pass in one motion three-quarters of the width of the ice, right to Joel Farabee, who one time blasted right by Andre Vasilevsky. What a play. What a vision uh, to see that he was there. And, and I'm sure that Shane's going to talk about that in our conversation. So, uh, And it's great to get Farabee on the board. He's had some good scoring chances to bury that one and get a little confidence that way. Good for him as well. Uh, so Farabee's first, assisted by Gossespierre and Sean Couturier. And that's where we would stand heading into the third period. Flyers back up 3-1 uh, to one in this hockey game. Then you head to the third period. Um, and Tampa really turned it on in the third period. They were all over the Flyers. A, a lot of zone time, a ton of puck possession in the in the Flyers zone, but it never felt extremely threatening. Now, it's easy for me to say I wasn't on the ice gassed, chasing those guys around, but they never got to the inside. The Flyers did a really good job, despite the amount of time they were in the zone, they still did a really good job of keeping those Tampa players on the outside and not in high danger areas and not in we, you say in hockey we protect the house the house basically is two feet from each side of the post out to the hash marks and then you make a diamond and it looks like a house that's the high danger scoring area you protect the house and the flyers did a really good job of doing that matter of fact this regular season uh, they had the third best cleared house than any team in the nhl that's probably not the right terminology that Steve Valaket at Clearsight Analytics would use, but uh, of, of keeping their goalies clean is basically w- what it is and, and making sure guys' sticks are tied up, bodies are tied up. Flyers have done a really good job at that, and they did it here once again against these three really good opponents, and in, in particular against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then in the third period at 1840, Scott Lawton went for the empty net goal pretty much the length of the ice, hit the post, but Tyler Pitlick gets down the ice and buries it for his first ever playoff goal. 
and first of this playoffs. And that gives the Flyers the 4-1 lead. Scott Lawton picks up the assist, and the Flyers skate away with a 4-1 win over Tampa. Now, a couple things, a couple numbers that stick out. Number one, 0 for 9 on the power play. We're going to address that in Twitter questions because I'm sure there's going to be a few questions about that one. But here's the very interesting thing to me, and I tweeted this out, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Mert. I said, quote, the Flyers will be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They gave up three total goals. They gave them up to the number one, which is the Tampa Bay Lightning, the number four, the Washington Capitals, and the number eight, Boston Bruins, offenses in the NHL. So one, four, and eight, teams with elite goal scoring. Tampa led the league by a ton. The Bruins and Caps each had a guy on their team that tied for the Richard Trophy with 48 goals and Alex Ovechkin and David Pasternak. You gave up one goal against each of those opponents. That's amazing. They outscore those opponents, and these are the top. These are three of the top five teams in the NHL. They outscore their opponents 11-3. to That's amazing. And if you go back to before the pause, the Flyers have won 12 of their last 13 hockey games. It's amazing. We were all afraid that when the pause happened, they would not be able to tap that momentum or they would lose the momentum they had winning nine of their last 10. Well, they've regained a new kind of momentum. And to me, it's a far more impressive momentum now when you consider those three opponents and when you consider the situation in a hub city and a shortened training camp and all of those things to do what they did. Does this pretend well for the future? It absolutely should. Will it? That will, that will remain to be seen. But when you're looking at outscoring those three teams 11-3, to three, those offenses and the team defense that you played, tremendous stuff. Tremendous preparation by Elaine Vigneault, Mike Terrian, Mike Yo, Ian LaPerriere, Kim Dillabaugh, uh, Angelo Ricci, and anybody else that had a hand in it that I may be missing. Tremendous job by this staff to get this team ready. Are they perfect right now? No. they got to get the power play figured out. Are they perfect right now? No, the Drew, Couturier, Voracek line, even though Jake didn't play against Tampa, needs to get on the board. Absolutely. JVR, back in the lineup, looked much better than he did last Sunday. He still has some work to do. I'm not sure if this is young legs versus old legs. Here's the other part of the equation. Three flyer rookie, well, three goals in the game were scored by flyer rookies. Nicholas Alget, Aubé Coupel had the two. And Joel Farabee had a goal as well. You got goals in this preseason from Travis Sanheim, players under 24, 25 years old. Sanheim, Myers, Roffles older than that, but he's a depth player. Scott Lawton. You got goals from Albe Kubel, Joel Farabee. If the upper end of the lineup gets it going, and I suspect they will, then this team, they already are dangerous. This team will be massively dangerous. All right, let's talk to... Really, one of the biggest storylines of this game was that the A, that he was in the lineup, and B, performing the way he did in said lineup. Got two points in the game, played a really strong hockey game at both ends of the ice. It's Shane Gossesbear. Very happy to have join us right now on Flyers Daily. Flyers defenseman Shane Gossesbear. Shane, uh, it's after the game. That had to feel pretty good. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, for us to get that number one seed and for, uh, you know, us to play some good hockey and, you know, put 
put down some teams that are, you know, really good offensively and only give up a goal in each game, I think it's uh, huge for us. And, you know, it's a good uh, good momentum, and we're going to bring it into the series against Montreal. Uh, you do have a big series come up. We'll get to that in a moment. In the game um, against uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, with two shots on goal, two assists in the game, um, two very important plays that you made. Uh, and you talked about earlier in camp that this is the best you felt physically in a couple of years. Just how good are you feeling physically? Yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely feel good. Um, you know, it's it's really good to, you know, get out there and, you know, really test it, uh, you know, against a, you know, a good opponent like, you know, Tampa and, you know, it's just, you know, trying to make plays and, you know, do what makes me a special player out there. And, you know, it worked for us tonight. One of the things that Elaine Vigneault has preached is kind of simple is better right now. Uh, you guys are coming back from such a long layoff. You had a layoff even before that, yet another procedure done. Um, is it as simple as just, for lack of a better term, simplifying some of the plays that, you know, maybe at a different time you may try and make? And is, is that just the smarter thing to do at this point? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely – you know, easier said than done, you know, obviously make the simple play. It's easy, easy to say that, but, you know, it just comes down to us, you know, managing the puck. I mean, uh, the ice isn't the best out there, you know, a lot of games being played on it. And, you know, I think if we just do the little things first, those opportunities to do stuff, you know, that special and dynamic will come and, you know, your opportunities will come. You just let the game come to you. I think that's mostly what he's preaching and, uh, you know, just don't do something out of the realm and just, uh, you know, go out there and, you know, play, you know, play the game right and the good things will come to you and watching the game and you've always had a flair for the dramatic as an offensive player but in watching the game I was particularly impressed with your stick work you were really your gaps were good and you know you had a very active stick in the game and that's a tough team when they're throwing the likes of Braden Point, Kucherov and, and the offensive firepower at you guys um, but talk about the assist that you got because the first one you, you get the puck to the net and Nicholas Albe Kubel makes a great redirect. And I want to talk about the other one separately. But how, how did that first one break down for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think they were coming to our zone, and you know, I just played the one on one with an active stick, and you know, the puck went to the neutral zone, and then it came to me again. And you know, I think the forwards did a really good job of maintaining pressure, cycling low. Um, the puck went around the around my side, but it was in the corner, but. Coots made a good read to me and I saw something, something orange or white over there and just <laughs> threw it over there. And Joel wasn't the best pass. It was definitely rolling. I was happy he hit it as hard as he could. Cause uh, you know, it was a good play and it was a good shot and you know, it was good overall team play there. For you reading uh, the, the four check by your team was the result of both of your assists in the game and, and the four check in particular in the first and second period was really good. When you're reading that you sense an opportunity as a defenseman too, not only to maybe activate and jump into the zone in an offensive way, but also uh, get some things done from the blue line. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing for us as a decor is, you know, shrinking that zone, you know, pinching hard and you can't do that unless you have a good, you know, a good centerman, a good F3 high and, you know, I think our, our forwards have been really good at that, giving us the leeway to, you know, be aggressive, be be pinching down. I mean, you ask any winger, you have a D-man barreling down on you, it's the worst thing. So if we just keep doing that, keep doing that, and, you know, they're going to make mistakes, we're going to get turnovers, we're going to get the puck, and, you know, that happened a couple times tonight. Uh, when you look at playing without fans in the building, that was your first experience tonight playing in, in, in the round robin with no fans. What was that like for you? Was it Was it – did you make it out maybe to be more than it was then when the game started it really wasn't that big of a deal or what was it like for you uh, no I just I probably I probably noticed it the most when you first came on the ice for before the national anthems you know you look around you expect the crowd to be going wild and whatnot but 
you know, once the game started, I, I really didn't notice, to be honest. And, you know, I mean, it sucks. We can't have fans because you definitely feed off that energy at times, especially, you know, the way I play and, and the stuff I do. I mean, it definitely sucks to, you know, not have fans, but um, but I really didn't notice it, to be honest. Um, how's bubble life been for you? It's actually really good. I mean, we got a really nice setup here. I mean, uh, this hotel, Hotel X or whatever they call it, uh, it's, it's really nice. I mean, I know it's only been a couple, two weeks maybe, but, you know, not bored yet. So I think uh, they, they did a really good job of, you know, our setup here and, you know, having us have things to do. So, you know, I'm not minding it at all. Uh, one of the things you said after the game was that this is the closest group that you, you've been with as, a, as an NHLer. Um, and you guys went on some, you know, winning streaks and, and some runs uh, throughout your time here. What makes this group so special and, and why they are so together both on and off the ice? Uh, I think it just starts with our older guys. I mean, you know, it starts from G and it goes down. I mean, G's not the type of captain who's too serious, but, you know, he's the kind of captain, you know, you want to make him proud. And, you know, when you, you mess up, he's going to be pretty pissed and you, you just don't want to mess up for him. But I think it just starts from him and goes down. I mean, we're we're not the most serious group, but when it comes time to be serious, we're pretty serious. And, you know, I think just making this, this group ha- just being so close-knit and, not only on the ice, but off the ice, I think it's pretty special. I mean, you just look at this lineup up and down, we're, we're pretty deep and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy to see. And it's, it's definitely exciting. You got, there's a vibe uh, in the city. Certainly. I know you guys are in Toronto. Do you guys have any idea of kind of the vibe what's going on back here in Philadelphia? Because people are Shane, they're in a lather right now. Yeah, I bet they are. I mean, uh, when you beat three of the best teams in the East, uh, pretty handily i mean it's it's pretty crazy um i mean we we obviously don't know what's going on but you know my fiance is back there saying the city's going crazy people talking to her at work and stuff so you know it's definitely cool you know i wish we can you know be playing the series in philly obviously and get that crowd going and maybe they they yell shooter once or twice in the power play like they do but you know it's definitely uh (laughs) it's definitely nice to know that you know obviously they have our back and they're uh they're excited for us yeah, I said that to Kevin Hayes the other day. I said, dude, you know why you guys aren't shooting on the power play? They're not there to yell, shoot, <laughs> when there's no lane or anything, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so classic. Yeah. Um, it's, I love it. Um, last thing for you, um, being up there, I, I know that uh, Chuck Fletcher sent um, the significant others of players, either wives or their families, uh, a, a, like a flower basket and a handwritten note. Uh, your fiance is back in Philadelphia. You just talked about it. Um, that little detail to me really strikes me of a first class organization. What did that mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we're not the only ones playing this, you know, it's definitely a family, family atmosphere and just going back to the thing, how we're such a tight knit group. I mean, I think Chuck's done such a good job of involving, you know, our significant others, kids and, and whatnot. I mean, uh, we came back to our rooms one day, we have a nice picture frame, a huge picture frame actually of, you know, our, our significant others and ourselves and, we have the huge mural in, uh, in the meal room with all our families and stuff. It's just, uh, you know, obviously we know they're at home, but we know they're with us too. And, you know, I think they do such a good job at that. Yeah, it was, it was really a first-class move. Are your dogs in any of the pictures? Oh, yeah. There's just a picture of my three dogs on that mural. So pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Get everyone involved. Uh, I love it. That's awesome. Hey, Shane, great game tonight, man. What a way to, to, to jump in. And you were phenomenal in, the, in your performance tonight. The team was as well. And it's all going to begin against the Montreal Canadiens sometime, sometime this week. I know you got an off day tomorrow. Enjoy this one, man. Thanks for doing this. And best of luck in the future. And we'll talk soon. Thanks, man. Have a good one. I always ask that question about 
how's it going inside the bubble? And I asked that because they've been winning. And you know the answer is going to be good. If you're losing, well, you're not going to be in the bubble much longer, number one. But I imagine when you're on a team after not playing for so long, and then you're inside that bubble with all your boys, tight-knit group, and Shane talked about how tight this group is, and you're winning and you're beating good teams like this, and you, you can almost see the confidence of the group just swelling more and more and more. Uh, I imagine that's pretty darn fun. Like, I imagine back at the hotel tonight, there might be a nice meal, maybe a cocktail. You got an off day tomorrow. You celebrate the fact that the round robin's over. So who do the Flyers get in the round robin? Well, they get the Montreal Canadiens uh, by winning the Eastern Conference. They get the, the Habs, who upset uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins in the play-in round in four games. So that series will begin this week. Elaine Vigneault coached the Montreal Canadiens earlier in his career. Uh, so that's an interesting dynamic for the French-Canadian head coach and Mike Tarrion, also a French-Canadian, and Ian LaPerriere, uh, Claude Giroux, Jean Couturier. So you, you have some French-Canadian voices there as well. Uh, so it'll be really interesting. Montreal's a team uh, with that goaltending of Carey Price, going to be such a big element of it. And obviously Carter Hart, big element, element of it for the Flyers. And uh, on an earlier episode of Flyers Daily last week when we had Carter on, uh, I've always known that Carter's idol growing up was Carey Price. He's emulated his game after Price, and you can see it. You do a side-by-side comparison, you see a lot of similarities, both not only in aesthetically in the way they move, but also in the way they prepare, also the way they economize movements and the technical aspects, uh, the way they wear their equipment even. Uh, so, uh, And he finally got a chance to meet his idol, and, and he sounded like he was kind of blown away by it a little bit. He said, I got a chance to play against him a couple times, but I never had a chance to meet him, and he got a chance to meet him kind of working out outside the rink the one day and, and got to have a conversation. So I'm sure it'll be a real thrill to go head-to-head with Kerry Price in your first-ever real Stanley Cup final best-of-seven series. Now the question is, is did Montreal kind of spill their bucket against the Pittsburgh Penguins? Maybe. Was that their Stanley Cup right there just to get by the Penguins? It could be, uh, but we'll see. Claude Julian has that team flying up and down the ice and some players young players like Nick Suzuki and other guys on that roster Kakaniemi uh, were big contributors for that team Jeff Petrie was just an absolute beast as was Shea Weber who I thought it may, we all thought at this point in his career Shea Weber would be taking a step back he hasn't so uh, that's who the opponent's going to be it's the Flyers and the Canadians a lot of history there as well Flyers coach Elaine Vigneault after the game yesterday had a chance to address the media and here's what he had to say congratulations I just want to ask you about the progression you've seen in uh, Nick Albee Cabell, uh, second half of the year and, and uh, his performance tonight. Yeah, there's a, you know, a young man that, um, you know, figured out what it would take for him to be able to, to play at this level. I mean, he's a strong kid, uh, good skater, powerful skater, uh, that if he, you know, plays high percentage, uh, he can be a, a very effective player. He's strong on his one-on-one battles. Uh, he's when he goes to the net, goes to the net hard. He's tough to stop. So um, you know, the, without a doubt, uh, he's come in. He had an opportunity, uh, and he grabbed that opportunity. He, you know, he deserves the the ice time, and he deserves to be playing right now. Obviously, tonight you have you know Joel gets a goal, Ghost has a strong game, JVR looked good. How hard is it right now for you to put together a lineup? Obviously, you have some guys hurt, but it just seems like so many guys are clicking. There's almost too many guys. Um, you know, those are, are good decisions, uh, you know, that uh, coach has to make. And 
that's what that's what I expect. That good internal competition that elevates everybody's game, and uh, you know everybody uh, has to be thinking about you know the team first and let uh, let us you know make those decisions. But uh, uh, there's no doubt that uh, some game uh, some players right now are are, are playing well, and uh, that's very beneficial for our team. It appeared in the third period that the Flyers were in their own zone a lot and uh how big was it to have carter hart make some really good saves he's a young 21 year old netminder making these big saves against an elite tampa bay team yeah i mean if you look at uh, tonight's game i mean probably the difference is uh carter early on uh, making those two uh, breakaway saves especially the one where we're on the power play and and we turn it over uh those were two huge saves uh he probably had tougher saves to make in that first period than he did in the third. Uh, you know, we bended a little bit. We didn't break a, a lot of it uh, uh, thanks to Carter. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's an elite team. And uh, uh, they uh, pressed and they came at us hard. Uh, but we were able to, to do, do the job in the third. Hey, Lane, uh, you and the rest of the coaching staff have talked about how much you've liked what you've seen from Joel Farabee. How rewarding is it for him to be able to finish on a scoring opportunity and contribute in that way when he brings so many of the other little things to the game? Yeah, again, I mean, Joel's a young player with, uh, you know, uh, scratching the surface as far as, uh, you know, his full potential. Uh, he gets opportunity tonight to play with Coots and uh, G, and I thought that was their best line so far in the three. And that goal, I mean, that that was a hard pass from Ghost. Uh, it takes a special skill set to be able to one-time that. Great play by Bo Ghost, but also, uh, obviously, great shot by Joel. I'm interested in your perspective on the pros and cons of this round-robin format in terms of getting ready for the first round now facing Montreal. Well, I mean, there's no sense in in – in me going in length about, you know, how this uh, was laid out. It was laid out, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think the NHL did an amazing job in the short amount of time uh, to put all this together, uh, giving, you know, players and, and coaches and, and fans uh, the opportunity to, to watch some hockey and see some hockey. So um, the format is is what it is. It was laid out in in a difficult time for the for the world, and uh, we're trying to play hockey. We're we're lucky we you know we get to go out there and uh, uh, do uh, what we love to do. I am sure it is absolutely a thrill for Elaine Vigneault to be taking on the Montreal Canadiens, at not only because he coached the Canadians, but as a French Canadian. Uh, certainly, that would be very cool for him. And the only thing that's kind of a bummer is the Flyers won't be playing at the Bell Center where that presentation at the Bell Center for playoff hockey is like none other. Been there uh, in 2010, we were there in the conference final, and it was electric. It was an absolutely electric, electric environment. Uh, but that's who the opponent's going to be. We don't know what the odds are yet. We don't need to worry about that at this point, but uh, the Flyers are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Let's get to some Twitter questions. I put out a solicitation uh, for people to get their questions in. And we start with Eric Bowman. He said, the younger players are really stepping up and taking control. This group is so tight with one another, clicking at the perfect time. Is this the kind of thing that just happens with an organization eventually? Is it luck? Combination of coaching and player evolution? Uh, I think what it is, I, I don't think it's luck. I think you make your luck in that regard. Uh, like, 
if you end up stinking in a year and you get the number one overall pick and you get lucky and it's a year where there's a Crosby, then yeah, if you some years, you know, you can stink and, and not get a great player. So that's luck. Uh, but as far as the evolution of this team, that's not luck. The way the team was built, going back to when Ron Hextall was the GM, to clean up the cap, to build up the farm system, draft and develop, not rush guys, bring them here when they're ready to get, make sure that you're doing things the right way. Uh, that part of it, and for Chuck Fletcher now, to make sure that these guys continue to develop, continue to draft as well underneath them, supplement the team with the, the proper free agents like Kevin Hayes, who you can't imagine could have worked out any better, and then the hiring of a coaching staff with Elaine Vigneault. So I'm not going to make luck any part of the equation. This, this type of thing doesn't just happen. You see teams in sports, whether it's the Cleveland Browns in football or you know, other teams in other sports where they're never good. And the reason is because if it was based on luck, then eventually they'd get lucky. But it's not. It's based on having an organizational philosophy, a DNA that you know what you want to do, and you execute it. And that's exactly what happened with the Philadelphia Flyers. So I think that's a big, big, big element of it. Stagger Lee, my buddy Eddie Riddy, OC Stagger on Twitter, and about 15 other people asking the same question. I'll read Ed's for you. How long until concern sets in about the power play that doesn't produce? Let me just give you another angle of that one before, uh, before we answer these. John McGarry, don't want a nitpick, but what's going on with the power play? You're sensing a theme here. Yeah, the power play has gone 0 for 9 in the round robin. It has not been good. They actually have generated some, some opportunities, but not nearly consistently enough, and it hasn't cashed in. Uh, why is that? I think there's a couple of factors here. I think first and foremost, uh, it's not something they got their normal amount of work in done before they got to the bubble, and then they started playing games. Um, I think that's part of it, number one. Number two, I don't think the ice conditions have been great. and uh, a power. It's why we always say you got 50 seconds of uh, power play time left when the second period starts on clean ice. You want that ice as clean as possible for any power play because it's all about precision passing, and, and you don't want pucks to roll. You're seeing a lot of that right now. This ice is pretty chewed up from so many games over the past week. I think that's part of it. I think the conditioning and the hands and the head and the feet aren't all in concert for some players. It seems more that to me that the veteran players are having a hard time getting their game, uh, for lack of a better term, in perfect sync to where their head thinks what it wants to do, the hands execute along with the feet, and it all happens at the same time without thinking. Uh, I think that that still is yet to, to come for some of the older players, not only on the Flyers, I think across the league you've seen it that way. Now, you've seen some, some older guys defy that, like Jonathan Taves in Chicago. Um, but that being said, really the only two teams that were really crushing it on the power play over the past week was the Edmonton Oilers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Other than that, a lot of teams are struggling uh, on the man advantage. Uh, in the zone podcast, we've seen it says, can this team continue winning without that top line scoring? Now, that's a different question. Uh, Sean Couturier, Claude Giroux, tonight it, or last night it was uh, Joel Farabee. Uh, it's been Jake Voracek. Um, eventually that line's got to get going. It does. And I think that my theory is that if it's the older players that are going to take a little longer for their game to come in, it's going to come in. Claude Giroux was great in the second half of this year, and he didn't age in dog years uh, during the pause. And Neither did Jake Voracek, and Sean Couturier certainly didn't either. They'll get it going. I thought Giroux skated a lot better in this game. I thought he seemed on the play a lot more. Um, the other thing to consider is that 
Yeah, when you look at those two teams, and I mentioned it earlier, the first-ranked, the fourth-ranked, and the eighth-ranked offensive teams in the NHL, and they all have a top line that is really, really good. And part of that responsibility when you play with Sean Couturier is to also shut down that line. So that comes at a cost sometimes of offense. So there you go. Mike Mestrilli tweets in and he says, on a scale of 1 to 10, where is their stamina level? I can't answer this really accurately because we're not around the guys right now. Um, but in the way it looks to me on TV, I would say I would say the the younger guys are at about an 8.5, and the older guys are about a seven. And that's a big point and a half difference. It's going to take some time. I think it's why you're seeing so many penalties, too, because guys don't have stamina, not moving their feet, reaching with their sticks, hooks, little slashes, and that's why you're seeing so many penalties as well. In the net, Hockey says, do you think we'll have any word on Michael Roffle by game one? You know, I, I just don't know with this new system that the league has put in place with unfit to play. I have no idea. Same thing with Jake Voracek. Uh, and there's another question coming up about Jake. I don't know. The only information I have is what everybody has, and that's uh, he's just unfit to play. We'll find out what that means by how long he's out or when he does return. Um, Girl Dad tweets in and says, what's the biggest key matchup for Montreal-Philadelphia? And he said, what, which player injured will most likely return, uh, Jake, Raffle, or Nolan Patrick? Nolan Patrick's not going to return. He's in Winnipeg uh, working out there. They didn't put him on the roster. They thought it would be a better idea just let him work out at home and get ready for training camp in November. Um, and as far as Jake, and I don't know what's wrong with Jake, and I don't know the extent of what's wrong with Michael Roffel, only from what Elaine Vigneault told me a couple of days ago, that he wouldn't be available for a little while. Um, I, don't even, I didn't even know how to quantify a little while, so uh, I'm not sure. Um, but the biggest key matchup against Montreal, it, to me, the, I don't know if it's a matchup per se, but what you have to do against Montreal is very similar to what they had to do uh, against Tampa, which is disrupt the goalie you got you got to be all over the blue paint because Carey Price like Vasilevsky they're two of the most elite goalies in the league and have been for a few years matter of fact Vasilevsky just was nominated as a finalist for the Vesna for the third year in a row and he won it last year so you're gonna have to take away their eyes you're gonna have to disrupt them you're not going to beat them on clear-sighted shots you're gonna have to throw layered screens at them back door cross ice passes cross slot line you're gonna have to get them moving otherwise they'll eat you alive um so I think that's the biggest element is to mitigate how much Carey Price can control the series. Tim tweets in, he says, I would like to hear about Ghost and Farabee. Both had great games. Yeah, they, they both did. And you heard from Ghost. He feels healthy for the first time, uh, healthiest he's felt for the first time in two years. And I think that's a big part of that. And John also tweets about Ghost and says uh, he looks so much closer to the 17-18 version of himself. Do you think A.V. sticks with him for game one or do they go back to the more consistent but lower upside Robert Haig? That's a really good question because the other element of this and where Ghost comes into play is the power play. The power play has struggled without Ghost as the high point man to get that shot through. Now that, that, that goes into the consideration. So I, I'm not sure where he's going to go with it, but we shall see. And also, you got to look at the matchup, too. And, you know, the, the Montreal Canadiens are a team that forechecks extremely hard. So that maybe leans a little bit more towards Robert Haig. Um, but if the power play is going to continue to struggle, if he goes with Haig in game one and it continues to struggle, then maybe Ghost goes in after that. Amanda tweets in and says, Do you think G is getting into his own head that he isn't putting up points and that will affect his play going into the first round? I don't think so. Uh, I think those things going into Claude Giroux's head 
only happen when he's not putting up points and there's not team success. He's not a guy that's worried about individual stats. He's worried about team success at this point in his career. He said as much. Um, so, no, I don't think uh, he puts extra pressure on himself because the team is winning, and they've won handily as well. Rob, Rob Brock says, if Jake can't play, does Farabee stick on the top line? I would think so. That seems like the, the best place for him. He needs to play with skilled players. So, yeah, that's I would just sub one out for the other. Uh, um, Angela tweets in and says, do you play Hart the entire series against Montreal, or do you have Elliott play some games? Uh, I'm assuming they're not going to play back-to-back games in the best of seven. So if that's the case, then I play Hart every game I can play him. Unless I see something, whether he's maybe laboring an injury, not feeling right, doesn't look right, then maybe there's a consideration. But all things being equal, if he's healthy, he plays every game. He's the guy I'm riding. Flyers are good on Twitter, says, when is the first game going to be against Montreal? The best I can do is tell you it's this week. I'm not sure yet. I think we'll get that schedule probably late tonight because it depends who wins between the Columbus Blue Jackets and Toronto Maple Leafs uh, or at the at the latest Monday morning, I would think, is when we'll get the full schedule of that. All right, two more. Phillies 2020. Mike Dundon on Twitter says, do you think Philip Myers might be the best-kept secret on the defense? Not much hoopla, but he's made play after play in the defensive zone. Um, I'll take it even further, Mike. He's made player after play in the offensive zone, too. He covers the entire ice. It's amazing, his skating ability. And I don't know if he's a secret or not. I don't consider him, consider him a secret because that pairing with he and Sanheim is so good uh, that I don't consider him a secret. But you're right. He makes a lot of really good plays with his rangy stick and his skating ability. You think a guy has a half a step on him? And then his elite skating ability puts himself into a position to get back in position and mitigate that rush. All right, last one. Copper Bust, Philly guy in Maryland, tweets in. Oh, this is actually not a question. He just said, Jason, you're doing a great job with those podcasts. But they go by so fast. Well, they don't go by that fast. We're doing them way longer than we did uh, initially. And we'll continue to do that because there's a ton to get into because the Flyers are the number one seed in the Eastern Conference by virtue of beating the Tampa Bay Lightning. They outscored their opponents 11-3 to in the round robin. That's going to put a wrap on this episode of Flyers Daily. We'll be back with an all-brand new one tomorrow on Lottery Day 2.0. Flyers aren't involved. The Pens are. Don't let that get you upset, people, that the Pens have a chance to score the number one overall pick in Alex Lafreniere. Just be happy that we're not in the lottery. The Penguins are on a golf course, and the Flyers are the number one seed in the East celebrate that don't get all caught up in what if they win the lottery it's fixed don't even worry about that flyers daily has been presented by Penn medicine the official health system of the philadelphia flyers and wells fargo center supporting our flyers Penn orthopedics creates the ideal care plan with treatment options fueled by our own world-renowned research doing what once seemed impossible so you can too another reason why your life is worth Penn medicine learn more at pennmedicine.org slash ortho and give them a follow on twitter at Penn medicine we'll check you out on tomorrow's episode of flyers daily in the meantime Everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.